this morning to Galatians chapter number 5. Galatians chapter number 5. We're going to dive right into the message today and let's be attentive this morning and I'll move quickly. Well, kind of quickly. Last service, the sermon went about 45 minutes, so I'll probably go about the same. Still not as long as Jay last week. We'll just remember that one right there. And uh, so one of these days we might have to, and I'm thinking about it, of moving the 930 service to 9. So in that way they for sure are out of here and that there's not, because like this morning, you can tell there was no parking in the parking lot. And then I had people waiting to pull into the parking lot and everything. And those preachers just go long. I don't know what their problem is. And so Galatians 5, we're going to be reading 13 verses this morning. And we're going to be looking at most of them this morning. They're going to help us this morning as we dive into this thing of serving one another. Look at verse number 1. The Bible says, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free, and be not entangled again the yoke of bondage. Behold, I, Paul, say unto you that if ye be circumcised, Christ shall profit you nothing. Now, one of the things you got to, um, when you look at this thing, when circumcision is mentioned here, it's referring to those who followed the law, and it was something to do with the law. The big issue in the book of Galatians was the, the church in Galatia, they had a problem. They went from following Christ and b- basing their salvation based by grace through faith to where some Judaizers, people came in, and what they did was they distorted doctrine, basically said you needed Christ, plus you had to add the law to be saved. And Paul is trying to correct that in the book of Galatians. And Paul's really setting setting things in order here in chapter number 5. And so we keep on reading here, it says, verse number um, 3 says, For I testify again to every man that is circumcised that he is a debtor to do the whole law. Christ has become of no effect unto you, Whosoever of you are justified by the law, ye are fallen from grace. For we, through the Spirit, wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision availeth anything, nor uncircumcision, but faith which worketh by love. He did run well. Who did hinder you that ye should not obey the truth? This persuasion cometh not of him that calleth you. Little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. And I, I have confidence in you through the Lord that ye will be none otherwise minded, but he that troubleth you shall bear his judgment, whithersoever he be. And I, brethren, if I yet preach circumcision, why do I yet suffer persecution? Then is the offense of the cross ceased. I would they were even cut off which trouble you. For brethren, verse 13, ye have not been called unto liberty, for ye have been called unto liberty, only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, by love serve one another. Father, I pray that the next few minutes that we gather here together, that you be pleased and glorified and help us today. We need you. We need your help. I pray that as we look at this passage this morning, I pray that you just work in us. We love you. We need you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. During the, re- during the American Revolution, a group of soldiers were repairing, the de- um, repairing their defenses with no help from their screaming officer. And he was telling them what needed to be done but he wasn't helping them do it. A nearby rider in civilian clothes came by and asked the officer why he wouldn't help. The officer looked back at him and said, Sir, I'm a corporal. Ooh, big bad corporal. Can't help the people with the defense wall, huh? And so the stranger apologized, dismounted, and proceeded to help the exhausted soldiers. Having done the job, he returned to the corporal and said, Mr. Corporal, the next time you have a job like this and you don't have enough men to do it, Go to your commander-in-chief, and I will come and help you again. The stranger was George Washington. 
Washington understood something that far too many of us miss. Freedom is not our license to serve self. It's our opportunity to serve others. Christian freedom is a wonderful gift of God's grace. We're saved by grace through faith, correct? And that out of ourselves. And when we are saved, we are taken and we're no longer slaves to sin. We're no longer in bondage. And many Christians miss and don't understand the true, um, what freedom is all about. I remember when I got old enough to drive, I got so excited by the fact that I could go and get my license. I got my license. Freedom, I can drive! But with freedom comes responsibility. Put your seatbelt on. Follow the speed limits. Stop at the stop signs. Not the California rolling stop that a lot of you do. You stop at the stop sign. Whatever the case may be, all these different things, there is responsibility that comes with it. And this morning, as we look at this, I'm going to help you this morning understand a few things from the Word of God from this passage. We're going to break it down, and we're going to look at this thing of serving one another. This is our fourth week together on this sermon series. We looked at the first week being members one of another. God places within the local body of the church those who he sees fit to do the work of the ministry there. That literally means if this is your church and God's brought you here, you have a spot here. And one of the things as pastor, it's my job to help you find your spot. You need to have a spot and you need to flourish in that spot. The body's got to work together. And the body can do so much more when all the parts are doing the work together. So I encourage you this morning, you don't have a spot, get a spot. Find a spot. Talk to me. We can get you plugged in some more. Have something. Be a part. It, it makes church so much better together as we're members one of another. And then we saw how Jesus said, this shall all men know they are my disciples if you love one another. And we got to love one another. In this world, everything, we look at the way this world runs, we look at businesses, corporations, we don't see unity and love. Why well, the church should be a different place. When people walk in these doors, they should see Christ. They should see his love. They should see a unified body in one accord together doing the work of God. We looked at two weeks ago the importance of admonishing one another. Not just giving our opinions to one another, but actually admonishing one another through the Word of God. That means pastor struggling. You say, hey, pastor, there's something there. You're not coming to me because, whoo, do you want to turn this mic down just a little bit? It's a little echoey up here. Um, you're not coming to me in your pride. You come in humility trying to help the people of God grow. What we do needs to come, let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. That's where the admonishment comes from. you got a lot of people that want to go help people with their opinions we don't need each other's opinions. We need the word of God. We need what it says. And we need to admonish one another in the right way. Last week we had Brother Jay here. And Brother Jay did an excellent job preaching all morning long on mental health and in the evening service. And actually his sermons on those what sparked my idea for one another for the year. Because as a church, you know, one of the things he needed more they didn't have, he needed help from his body. Part of the problem was he didn't tell anybody he needed help. And I believe part of the problem was they didn't reach out enough. We need to have a church where we can all be real with one another. And when we're struggling, we can admit, hey, I'm struggling. And then as a church, we help those who are struggling. We comfort the feeble-minded, as he said. Support the weak. It's a great message that fits right in line with all these things and gave us a lot to think about last week. But today, we look at this thought of serving one another. Number one, as we dive into the message today, we see the stand of liberty. Paul says at the beginning here in our text, he speaks to the believers in Galatia who are saved, now let me remind you of something. I have people ask me a lot of times, Pastor, 
I led someone to the Lord, they got saved, but then they get off on all this crazy doctrine. Are they still saved? Once you're saved, you're always saved. That doesn't change, but it is very, very important for a new believer to get grounded in the things of God so they don't get tossed to and fro with all these different doctrines. What happened in the church here was you had some new Christians that did not understand everything. And you had these Judaizers coming in saying, hey, the law is what saves. And you need the law and Christ, and that's how you get saved. Like, oh, well, i got to work my way. And Paul said, hey, that's not how it works. Stand fast in the liberty that you've been given in Christ Jesus. And so as we look at this today, Paul's focus in the book was to try and get the Galatian believers to remember the fact that they weren't supposed to seek righteousness through the Old Testament law. Galatians 2.21, the scripture tell us, I do not frustrate the grace of God. For if righteousness come by the law, then Christ, is, then Christ is dead in vain. If the law brought us to righteousness, then Christ didn't need to die. His death was of none effect. Why? Because the law could save us, but that's not what the law could do. The Bible tells us in Galatians chapter 3, verse number 24 and 25, Wherefore the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ, that we might be justified by faith. But after that faith has come, we are no longer under a schoolmaster. You see, the whole point of the law was to point out the fact that we were sinners, that we needed a Savior. It was teaching us the fact that we needed Jesus Christ. And when, we, when that faith has come and when we get saved, we don't need the schoolmaster anymore because we know. That's what he's trying to say here. The Old Testament law was not given as a means of salvation. It was meant to serve and to help us to find Christ. Paul says here to stand fast. Those words, stand fast, means to persist and persevere. Paul urges them to remain steadfast and to be stand fast in these things and be rooted in several things. First one we see, supposed to stand in our liberty, the first thing we see is in our position in Christ. Look at what it says in verse number one again. It says, stand fast, therefore. In the liberty wherewith who? Christ hath made us free. Paul says, stand in your position in Christ. You see the word liberty there? The word liberty means freedom from bondage and slavery. This stand firm in liberty means we believe we've received by grace through faith in Christ. And when that happens, we are no longer slaves to sin. Without Christ, we're slaves to sin. The Bible tells us, Romans 3, verse number 20, Therefore, by the deeds of the law... There shall no flesh be justified in his sight, for the law is the knowledge of sin. Paul says in Romans 6.23, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And what you've got to understand is, sin brings bondage. The Bible talks about the way of the transgressor in the book of Proverbs. The way of the transgressor is hard. Jesus said, Take my yoke upon you, for my yoke is easy, my burden is light. You see, Jesus frees you from the bondage of sin. And you have liberty today because of what Christ did for you. Put it in America's terms. Think about it this way. Liberty, freedom, American Revolution, the Revolutionary War, all those things that happened. Men and women gave their lives for us so that we could have the freedoms we have today. Jesus Christ gave his life for us so that we could have the freedom and liberty we have today to be free from the bonds of sin. Because of what he did, we now stand in liberty, and it frees us from guilt and from sin. That's what Romans 1, 7 tells us, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace. 
Romans chapter 8, verse number 1, there is therefore now no condemnation, no judgment to them that are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. That's what Christ has done. What Paul is telling them, look at the rest of verse number 1, says, stand fast therefore in the liberty wherewith Christ has made us free. And look what he says, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Paul reminds the believers of their new standing liberty in Christ. Then he urges them, don't entangle yourself with the law again. The word entangle here means to be held by or ensnared. Um, and bondage means slavery. The condition of a slave. And Paul was exhorting them here not to pull back into the bondage of the law. by The Judaizers who were trying to teach this. They were teaching that in addition to believing in Christ... They had to keep the law to please God. That's not true. Warren Worsby said this. He said, when the believers in Galatia trusted Christ, they lost the yoke of servitude to sin upon the yoke of Christ. The yoke of works is hard and the burden's heavy. Christ's yoke is easy and his burden is light. The yoke of Christ frees us to fulfill his will while the yoke of the law enslaves us. And because of our position in Christ, church, we are free from the judgment of sin. Paul tells them, hey, Stand fast in your position in Christ. Don't get entangled with things. Stand fast in Christ. Let her be. Not only stand fast in Christ, stand fast in your position in grace. In grace. Verse number two through verse number four, Paul says, Behold, I, Paul, say unto you, that if ye be circumcised, Christ shall profit you nothing. For I testify again to every man that is circumcised that he is a debtor to do the whole law. Christ has become of no effect unto you, Whosoever of you are justified by the law, ye are fallen from grace. Now, there are a lot of people that will preach from that verse about falling from grace and losing your salvation. You can't put falling in grace into that category because that's not what it means. Satan's very good. He knows the word of God. Do you know that? He does. He used it on Jesus when he was tempted. He knows it. He's good at taking God's words and twisting them to try and discourage and hurt Christians. It's one of those passages that this is talk, that this happens. We look here and we see, and what we want you to understand is, Paul is saying here, you need to stand fast in Christ, but stand fast in the grace you've been given. Paul tells us that the believer not only has a position in Christ, but that position that we have in grace is all by him and not us. What does the word grace mean? Undeserved or unmerited favor. You don't deserve it. I don't deserve it. That's what grace is. Galatians 2.16 says, Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Jesus Christ, we might be justified by the faith of Christ and not by the works of the law, for by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. Religion requires that you have to have works to be accepted by God. Want to know this morning a big difference between Catholics and Christians? Want to know a big one? Probably the biggest. They believe you have to have works associated with your salvation. You have to, there's penance, there's all sorts of different things. And I can do a long lesson and go through all that, but I don't need to do that this morning. Because religion says you got to, and people to people it makes sense. We, we think to ourselves, the more we work, the better it is, right? Why some people have a hard time, you hear about salvation, it's all through Christ and Christ and nothing that we do. Sometimes people have, Sometimes I've been at a door talking to someone or someone I've been talking to them about salvation. They have a hard time. They're like, because I feel like I have to do something. That's not how salvation works. And we see this here. And religion just requ- and Paul instructs the believers here that faith is only by Jesus Christ and believing in him and not the works of the flesh. 
And remember, the law's demands, think about this, the law's demands cannot be fulfilled by any human. If a man were to truly please God by keeping the law, he would have to keep the entire law. James chapter number 2, verse number 10. The Bible says, For whosoever shall keep the whole law, and yet offend in one point, he is guilty of all. Let's be honest this morning. How many of you would say, Pastor, there's at least one point of God's lie broken in the past. Would you please raise your hand? At least one? At least one? I think everybody would say that. And if your hand's not up, you just are embarrassed to do it because everybody's hand should be up. And you just lied, so you technically fit into that category. So, yes, we all fit into the category there. We all have offended in one point at least. Offended in one point, you're guilty of all. None of us. The law cannot save us because we're all guilty. For this reason, no man is capable of saving himself. Now, look at verse number four. Now, this is something we got to do a better job of in our personal Bible studies and in churches. Read the Bible for what it says, not what you want to take out of it. Because I, I've heard many a church that believes in works-based salvation talk about those who have fallen from grace. They're lost and they've fallen from grace. Is fallen from grace found in this verse? Yes, it is. Look at the verse and see what it says. Galatians 5, verse 4. Christ is become of no effect unto you. Whosoever of you are justified by the law, ye are fallen from grace. Now, you've got to realize something. If we are relying on, the wor- on our works to justify us, we are denying the power of God's grace in saving us. Paul was not sitting here telling the church here in Galatia, you've lost your salvation, you've fallen from grace, and it's all over with. No, the Bible clearly teaches it's impossible to be plucked out of his hand. Doesn't it say that? It's impossible. What Paul is saying is they fell away from their trust in grace because they're trusting in the law. But once you're saved, you're always saved. He's emphasizing that if they are justified by the law, then it makes grace of no effect in their lives. That's what he's trying to say. Grace is undeserved favor. If God saves us by his grace, then our salvation is something that we cannot earn. Once we are standing in a position of grace, we can never truly fall from grace in the sense of losing our salvation. Because you're never going to deserve it. That's what grace is all about. Those who say they fall from grace and they got to get saved again, take the word grace out of there because grace doesn't even fit. Because you didn't deserve it to begin with. How do you somehow magically deserve it? No, that's not how it works. Why Jesus said in John chapter number 10, verse 28, And I give unto them eternal life. They shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. That's what grace is. The fact that no matter what you do, you are secure and safe in his hand, and nothing can change that. And Paul says, hey church, instead of getting yourself in bondage again to the law, and going back to those things, hey, stand fast, first of all, in your position in Christ. Hey, stand fast in your position in grace and what the Lord's done. It's either grace or works, there's nothing else. And then Paul says, look at verse 5 and 6. He says, stand fast in our position of hope. Verse 5 and 6, for we through the Spirit wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. For in Jesus Christ neither neither circumcision availeth anything nor uncircumcision, but faith which worketh by love. Verse 5 says that we're that we through the Spirit wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. What's the hope? The hope for the fulfillment of Christ's work in us. The word wait there in verse number 5, it means to expect fully, to eagerly and patiently anticipate. As believers, we anticipate the day we will be just like Jesus. Put off this corruption, put on incorruption. 
what Paul was saying in Philippians 1 verse 6, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. That's our hope right there. And though we look like messes some to most of the time, and though we wonder, but God promises and I'm confident I have the hope today that he's going to finish the work in me he started. Praise God for that. That's what you stand in. Stand fast in Christ and your position in him. He set you free. Stand fast in your position of grace and how it's undeserved favor. Stand fast in the hope that he's going to finish the work he's done. That's what you need to focus on, he's telling them. We need can be confident in these things. Paul says the stand of liberty. You see number two, the subversion of liberty. Say, Pastor, what are you talking about? Whenever there's powerful truth that comes from the word of God, Satan always has a counterfeit. He does his very best. And Satan will always devise ways to undermine what God's trying to do. I understand something. What is Satan's overall goal? And sometimes we get that lost when we think about Satan. Go back to what the Bible talks about Lucifer when he was in heaven. What was his goal? To be greater than God. That's Satan's goal. He wants to be greater than God. He wants to be greater than Christ, right? So if we stand in our liberty in Christ and in the grace he's given us and in our hope, we're making God happy. That doesn't make Satan very happy. He wants to hurt God. He wants to get people not to follow God and follow him. That's his goal. He, someday during the end times, that time comes, he's going to sit on throne and because he wants to be God. He will never be God. But you look, and everything that God has, Satan always has a counterfeit for. And we see this through two avenues. You think about this. He doesn't want a believer to rest secure in Christ. Because in Christ, you're not going to be in bondage. He doesn't want you to rest secure in grace. Because if you do, you're never going to doubt your salvation. He doesn't want you to stand fast in your position of hope. He wants to mess those up. And Satan attacks the truth of our liberty in Christ by using two things. The first one, legalism. And secondly, license. We'll start with just legalism here. Legalism. Look at verse number seven. Ye did run well. Who did hinder you that you should not obey the truth? This persuasion cometh not of him that calleth you. This truth mentioned in verse number 7 refers to the simplicity of salvation, saved by grace through faith. And Satan wants to do his best to deter us from enjoying our liberty in Christ and bring us back into bondage. And we see Paul's been dealing with this problem. You say, Pastor, what do you mean by legalism? Well, I got a term, a Bible term from Bible days, and I have a term for today as well. First term is this. Legalism is adding self-effort to faith in Christ for salvation. It's adding anything on our own. Hey, you've got to have Christ plus this. It's Christ plus that. That's legalism. You also see today in a lot of good churches, see number two, the second type of legalism. Legalism is, an, an, is emphasizing rules more than a relationship with Christ. One can keep the rules, yet be totally carnal in their heart. And it happens more and more today, and we see it a lot. I'm going to break this down just a little bit more for you here in just a minute. Some people look and live right as they climb the ladder of legalism. They take pride in their self-righteous convictions and standards, which I am for convictions and standards. I'm for both of them. But somehow they think the more standards, the more convictions they have in their life, the more that they do for the Lord, the better relationship they have with him, the more he loves them, the more all these things happen. And church, that's not true. Everything we have today in salvation is through Christ. Nothing we've done, nothing we'll ever do will help anything change. 
God cannot love you more than he loves you right now. Your big standard and convictions in your life does not change God's love. He loves you the same forever. Some people have a hard time with that. Some people take care of the outside, make the outside look real good, but the Lord looks on the heart. And that's not right either. Let me remind you though, doing good works and applying biblical principles and guidelines in one's life is a good thing. It's important. It needs to be there. But what we got to understand is it becomes legalism when we emphasize our works and glory in them over the person of our worship. Jesus Christ is the one we worship. And I'll hear many a sermon, and it's all about my standards and convictions and how you need to be, do these things. That's not Bible Christianity. You cannot add works to your salvation to get God to like you more. He already likes you. If I do this, if I dress this certain way, now yes, dress right. Yes, be modest. Dress right for God. All those things are important. But I don't do it to gain favor with God. If that's why you do it, you're wrong. And your focus is in the wrong place. A lot of people miss it. Legalism has two negative effects on the Christian walk with Christ. First of all, it hinders his spiritual walk. Look at verse number 7. Paul says to them, you did run well. Who did hinder you? The hinder is to change the course of a ship to cut in on. And then, look at what else Paul says. Look at verse number 8. Paul tells the Galatians, This persuasion cometh not of him that calleth you. This is not something that Christ set up. We get so carried away with it. In the first century, in Jesus' day, and here in the book of Galatians, the persuasion was to gain your salvation through works. Today is to gain your reputation and your self-righteous attitude. And that's legalism, and it's wrong. But it's the other avenue, through license. The opposite of legalism is a license or the abuse of liberty. License is another way Satan uses to subvert our liberty in Christ. A Christian who abuses liberty in Christ thinks he's free to return to his sinful lifestyle. Sad thing is, a lot of churches, they preach that. Live and do as you please. I'm going to help you out right here. I did this last service. I'm going to give it to you this morning. I want you to just pay attention here for a minute. We've got a problem in Christianity today. I'm a Baptist. I've been a Baptist since I was born. I always be a Baptist till the day I die. A lot of things in the Baptist church that I'm not happy with that goes on, just like that I'm not happy about things that happen in other churches as well. But we're an independent Baptist, and I really don't care what the other Baptists do. We're going to please God here, and that's our goal. I'm an independent Baptist. One of the things I see trending in the independent Baptist world, among a lot of independent Baptists, is this thing of legalism. My standards, my convictions equal better relationship with God. That's wrong. It's wrong. If I dress a certain way, God's going to love me more. If I act a certain way, God loves me more. If I never sin, God will love me more. You're never not going to sin. And that you can get some pride in your heart like that is just as bad as any other sin going on in your life. This is, and a lot of independent Baptists, this is where they're at. Legalism, and it's wrong. A lot of churches, a lot of my friends on the opposite spectrum of things, they're over here. Just live and do as you please. You're saved. You're free. Do as you want. And that's just as wrong. Let me understand something this morning. We don't look to other Baptist churches for where we stand. I don't. I don't look at other churches for where we stand. I look to Christ. Hey, this morning, you should not look at other Christians on either side of the spectrum on how to live. You should look to Christ on how to live. And there are some of my Baptist friends that wouldn't like what I'm going to say here in just a second. When you would hear what I say, it's biblical truth. If you can't take it, you've got to get off your little legalistic high horse and fix yourself. Problem is, it's all law over here. 
you need to do. And you'll hear preaching. And all you'll hear preaching on all the time is standards and convictions. I've already told you, I believe in standards and convictions. Big believer in it. Big believer than probably most people sitting in this room here this morning. That's not what I'm, that's not what God's called me to preach. I am supposed to help you on certain things, yes. Don't get me wrong. And I go there from time to time. And some people don't like it sometimes, but it's okay. You'll be all right. It's all law here and little grace. On this side, it's all grace and it's no law. We don't want either. Don't we want a Victory Baptist Church? Ryan, you and I have had several talks about being a balanced Christian, right? And what's the phrase I always use with you? What was Jesus? Full of grace and truth. You want balanced Christianity? Full of grace and full of truth. Both. Our churches today have a hard time. They're either full of grace and no law, or they're full of law and no grace. It's got to be both. Our church is trying to be like Jesus. My personal life, I want to be like Jesus. That's where you say, well, pastor, you should be harder on sin. I need to be hard on sin. I also need to be hard on God's grace at the same time. We all mess up. We all mess up. And there's a tendency on this side to your nose up in the air because you're better than everybody else. And those with their nose in the air are just as full of pride and just as sinful as anybody else. And it's wrong. And those over here who can't stand those guys over there are just as wrong because they're all grace and they're no, you know, if you love me, what are you going to do? You're going to keep my commandments. Yeah, that's Bible. You can't say you love God and live as you please. It doesn't work that way. You can say it. It means nothing. And we need to be people that are full of grace and truth. And there's more I could say about all that, but it's already 12.05. Wow, time flies. I kept teasing Jay today. I wasn't going to be as long as him, but I've almost gone as long as him in both services today. So we need to keep on moving. How does Satan, he goes at us through legalism, he goes through license. What did um, Romans 6, verse 1 and 2, Paul said, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin? Grace may abound, God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? You see, the lifestyle of license is not a biblical one. We need to strive to be more biblical in the things that we do. See, this morning our Christian liberty is not a license to live in sin. So what should we do with it? See, Paul says, number one this morning, you need to stand in liberty. Stand your position in Christ, your position in grace, your position in hope. Satan's got his counterfeits, legalism and license. And now here's what you need to do with your liberty. Number three, the service of liberty. Because we're in Christ, we are freed from legalism or license. As Christians, the freedom we enjoy in Christ is not an, I've done that a lot lately. It's not an opportunity to sin, an opportunity to serve. See letter A, a service of love. Look at verse 13 real well. It says, for brethren, ye have been called unto liberty. Only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. In your notes there, it's there, it's not on the screen, but 2 Corinthians 5.14, For the love of Christ constraineth us, because we thus judge that if one died for all, then, we, then we're all dead. The service we render to the Lord must be driven by our love for the Lord. Can I be honest with you this morning? Can I be honest with you today? Can you handle truth? You can't handle the truth. You can handle this here for a second. Everyone gets a little quiet and just looks up a little bit. What are you going to say, Pastor? I love everyone singing in this room. Everyone in this room, this service. I know some of you very well. There's a few in the room I don't know as well as others. God called me to be a pastor. God called me to help you become what you're supposed to be in Christ. That's my job. And there are times that I say things not because not out. it's an admonishment from the Lord. I also would hope that in my life there's times I'm struggling some of you would come alongside me and do the same thing and help me on this thing together. I'm no greater than anybody else. I'm just like you. There's no difference. But it is my job to watch for your soul. Bible. My job to help you become what God wants you to become. I think we have a problem in this area of service of love. What motivates you to serve God? I think it goes into every spectrum of everything in Christianity. What motivated you to come to church today? 
Is it duty? I have to go to church. If you're doing it out of duty, that's a terrible reason to do it. That shouldn't motivate you to do anything. Why is it we have a hard time going to church? Why is it a hard why do we have a hard time reading the word of God? Why do we have a hard time volunteering and serving in ministries in church? Because we're doing it out of the wrong motive. Everything we do should be motivated by the love that's been given to us in Christ. Paul said the love of Christ it constrains me. It consumes me. I gotta do something with it. You know the reason why you should have came to church this morning? Because after all the Lord's done for you, you love him, that's why you're here. You gotta check your motives. Why do you clean a bathroom? Because I love my Savior. Why do I teach a kid's class? Because I love Jesus. Is it, always e is it always easy working in the Christian school? No. Why do you do it? Because I want the, you don't do it for the kid's sake. Although that's not a bad reason. You do it because you love the Lord. And I sincerely believe in our church. I said last service and I'm saying it again here. A lot of us are not committed to God like we should be because our motivation is in the wrong place. I want to encourage you to do something. I want you to go spend some time at the foot of the cross and look at how much God loves you and live your life motivated by his love. That's where we get back into that legalism side of things. There are a lot of churches that try to guilt you into doing things. I've tried doing that. It doesn't work for the most part. And I will tell you this, it's wrong to do that as well. It is. If you love God, you know, if you do love him, you would do certain things. I think that is true. But be motivated in the work of God by his love. Why do you do what you do? Why do you run the soundboard? There's no one else to do it. That's the reason. Quit doing it. You should do it because, yeah, the Lord could love me. I can take pastor's abuse in the back. Why are you an usher? Because no one else will do it. No, because I love God and I just want something I can do to show him my love. Man, church, if we would get a hold of changing why we do what we do and the motives behind it, it would get us busy doing the things of God. I have to go witness. No, I get to witness. My Savior loved me enough that he died for me. And he asked me to witness. I can do it for him. I have to give money to church. I get to give because God's given me so much. I can give a little to him. If we could just be motivated by love. What happens is sometimes we're motivated by guilt motivated by duty and that all goes back into the legalistic and the other side that's not right we need to be motivated he says by love serve one another love love so important a service of love the security of christ's love should motivate us to serve him why do we love him because he first loved us at this the origin of what you do is more important than what you actually do what motivates your action? Then when we love God, look what's going to happen. Mark 12, verse 30 and 31. We're rounding the finish line here. It says, Then thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, all thy soul, with all thy mind, with all thy strength, for this is the great commandment. The second is like, namely this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. There is none other commandments greater than these. When we love the Lord, we will love other people and desire to serve them. When we talk about the service of liberty, we see a service of love to the Lord, which will lead to a service of others mark 10 45 told us for the son for even the son of man came not to be ministered unto but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many when christians truly understand their freedom in christ and use it to serve others you know what's going to happen people in their community will come to the lord and find freedom in him as well a quick we're out of time i want to give you a few ways to serve others are you ready first one is this restore chapter 6 verse number one it says brethren if a man be overtaken in a fault Ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. And not all Christians can be a part of the ministry of restoring people. As ye which are spiritual, a mature Christian. Because you got to remember, hey, I, this could very easily be me. I need to be in the business of restoring people, but I want you to understand something about this too. I hear too much talk on Twitter, on Facebook, all over the place. You cannot restore an unrepentant sinner. God calls mature believers to help restore repentant christians to the body of christ repentant is key number two 
bearing burdens. How can we serve others? Restore, bear burdens. The Bible says, next verse in chapter 2, there, bear you one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. That could be praying for others, encouraging each other in spiritual growth and victory. We need to help bear one another's burdens. And as we do that, do you see what the Bible says? We are doing, we're fulfilling Christ's commandments. Because as we love God, we're going to love others, and that's how it all works together. Third thing we can do is we can pray. Prayer is one of the most significant ways we can serve one another. Do you realize something? Prayer is something every Christian can participate in, and it's something every Christian in this room needs. Do you pray for your church members, your fellow church members? I pray for you. Looking around the room right now, there are two of you sitting in this room. You come off and on, and I do not remember. I remember one of your names. I don't remember the other name. I go through this auditorium, and I would say, I promise you this morning, everyone sitting in this room in this service, I prayed for every one of you this week. By name or by your face, if I couldn't remember the name. Everyone way to help serve you we all need prayer you can restore bear burdens pray i'll give james 2 15 tells us if a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food and one of you saying to them depart in peace be warmed and filled notwithstanding ye give them not those things which are needful to the body what doth it profit what demonstration of christian love is there when our words aren't backed by our deeds charles Swolt, um, schultz drew a peanut comic based on james 2 verse 15 and 16 charlie brown and Linus are bundled up in their house while Snoopy's out in the cold, shivering in front of an empty dog dish. Char- Charlie and Linus are having a discussion on how sad it is that Snoopy is hungry and cold. Said he's cold and hungry. We ought to do something about it. They walked outside and said, be of good cheer, Snoopy. Snoopy just looked at them as if something is missing. You can also visit, or five visit. Go to people's homes to pray with and encourage them is a great way to show care and to serve. James 127, pure religion and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction and to keep keep himself unspotted from the world. I'm going to give you a paragraph about what the whole sermon has been this morning. We'll be on our way out today. When you accept Christ as your Savior, you are freed from sin. And praise God for that. Freed from guilt. We're freed from the penalty of sin. And our salvation is merely based on grace through faith and does not need the law to be involved. Satan does his very best to keep us in bondage to sin, and the way he acts is through legalism and through license. And a true understanding of Christian liberty will lead us to serve from love and to one another. Father, we thank you for the